Well, what a blessing. Thank you for the wonderful music, special music all morning. Once again, it's a privilege to be here. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. If you would take your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 1, please. Galatians chapter 1. What a great, great emphasis on camp. I'll tell you what, I've been in a lot of services that kind of promote camp, but this may be one of my favorite. And uh, one of my uh, uh, just, uh, I, I really think the heartbeat and the investment and the emphasis is is right on of how God can use camp and how God is using camp and now in the heartbeats or in the hearts of your children. And so, Pastor, thank you very much for your emphasis and the importance of priority. And it's really just preaching. It's just another way we do it. Okay, and so thanks again for the opportunity, Pastor, to be here to invest. If we can be a help in any way, please let us know. We'll be able to once again hang around for uh, lunch and afternoon service as well. And I tell you what. Uh, man, that's a deal for camp. Seriously. You run the math on that. That's a lot of money because I ran the math on that. Okay. And so matter of fact, uh, Miss Tina, if you can help me remember, um, I want to get on board with that. Okay. Miss Tina and I personally, not with the camp, personally, are going to write a check and send it to this church to help the church sponsor that. I appreciate Pastor your emphasis. And I'll tell you what, it's just investment. It's all it is. And this is a good investment. We believe in it, and I'm going to make sure that we put our money where our mouth is. And we're going to do everything we can, Pastor, to make sure we get the camp, uh, get the kids up to camp that have a financial need. Okay, so Miss Tina and I are going to help with that. Miss Tina, if you can help me out with that. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, um, you just can't beat that deal. I mean, the only way we're going to beat that deal, Pastor Scott, is that we like Bernie, and uh, camp's free for everybody. You know? You know what I'm saying? Maybe we should just think, think about that, you know? I'm completely just kidding. The camp part and the Bernie part, Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll just uh, we'll just keep keep rolling with this plan that we have. And so once again, thanks for the opportunity to, <laughs> to like like we've heard enough politics for like our lifetime. Okay, we're done. Move on. Okay, so good to be here. We're gonna be in Galatians chapter one. The title of the message today is "Don't Change the Message." The title of the message today is "Don't Change the Message." Galatians chapter one. Let's begin reading if you would in verse six in Galatians chapter one. And I'm watching the clock. Pastor said I could preach through lunch. The Pie Fellowship, the Super Bowl, something about 6 o'clock service. I don't remember what he said about that. So <laughs> we'll make sure we're on time watching the clock and trust that God will use his word in our hearts and our lives. I've already been encouraged by the music, by the fellowship. There is an obvious heartbeat here for the Lord and for his gospel. And I just want to commend you folks to stay faithful, live for the Lord, and God will continue to use you folks in all right, Galatians chapter 1, don't change the message. Let's begin reading in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you to the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. There would be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. I marvel that you're so soon removed because there's some people who are perverting the gospel of Christ and pulling you along with them. Stop that. Verse 8. But the we... Paul includes himself as an apostle, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you that will be preached unto you, let him be accursed. Wow, that's strong language. That's very strong language. That's very serious language. And as we know, the tone of Galatians is very serious. As Paul, you know, gets into this Galatians chapter one, we know there's some letters that Paul writes where he says nicer things. You know, he starts out letters like, "Man, every time I think about you, I'm praying for you." <laughs> That's not where he's going with this one. Okay, serious. Verse 9, as we've said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you've received, let him be accursed. And do I now persuade men or God, or do I now seek to please men? 
For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the I was trying to be really ninja-like with my lack of turning the mic on. That was my fault. I didn't turn the mic on when I came up, and I messed up the guys. Hey, guys, I'm going to turn the lapel on now. Okay, got it. I think we got it. Okay, let's get back to verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Uh, Big deal to Paul. This issue of am I doing this for men? Am I just controlled, motivated by what man thinks? And the pressures of everything entailed in that. And a man um, who came out of the Catholic Church, there's my Luther, okay, understood that too. It's amazing what he says about this issue of man and the pressures. So Paul is dealing with this all the way from verse 1, an apostle, not of men, neither by man. Verse 10, for I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. He didn't receive it. Like, he didn't get it from somebody else. He wasn't just taught it in the sense of knowledge passing from one brain to another brain. Sometimes knowledge works that way in a lot in our world and the way life, but that's not what he's talking about. But he received this gospel by the, what's that word right there? Revelation. It was revealed. It was absolutely opened up from another source and revealed to Paul directly. Verse 13, for you heard of my conversation times past in the Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profit in the Jewish religion above many of my equals, my own nation, be much more zealous of the traditions of my father. It's verse 15. But when it pleased God, verse 16, to reveal his son in me. We're going to preach a message today. Once again, don't change the message. Let's pray. Father, the next few moments that we have, help me to stay um, clear in my mind, to articulate heartbeat the message of this text and certainly lord i know the heartbeat of who you are because only you get to decide how people get right with you and the glorious gift of your son the horrific act on the cross devils nor angels nor apostles nor fundamentalists or anybody else in between, just to decide. And so, Father, fill me with your spirit. Use me use me this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As uh, kids, um, we grew up playing a lot of games. Matter of fact, how many of you remember those games you played as kids? Okay. You guys remember the hide-and-seek back when that was cool? And then you did the reverse hide-and-seek where the person that was hit went and hit hide, and, and then you kind of had to go find him. And so we've all got our... Our childhood games. Remember, remember Red Rover, Red Rover? Oh, man, that was a classic one. How many of you called your cousin that you didn't like or your sister that you didn't like so you could clothesline her when she came across Red Rover? Are you with me? Red Rover, Red Rover said, you're in a club. You have no idea what I'm talking about. 
Seek him water ball afterwards. She'll explain it. Okay, Duck, Duck, Goose. Yes. Okay, there was another game that we used to play as kids. And Duck, Duck, Goose was the dumbest game in the entire world. I hated that game. I was terrible at it. I was slow getting up. and ran around. Uh, we used to play the games. But I remember playing the game uh, as a kid called Telephone. Remember that one? And kind of the idea, as you well know, was a message was given to like a group of kids or they were in a line or they were in a circle. And the first kid had to read it or you told him verbally or something like that. You told him like this story or this series of sentences or something. And their job was to remember it, right? And then um, they would tell the next person what they remember, right? Yes? And then they would tell the next person. And then they would tell the next person on, on, and on. It got down or in a circle or whatever. And then the last person usually said out loud what they thought they were told. And by the, by the end of it, it was always kind of humorous and funny because it really had nothing to do with what the original message was. Okay, So you remember playing this game called Telephone. In the book of Galatians, Paul is confronting these false teachers who were, who were changing the gospel message. And Paul deals with this issue of don't change the message. Now, in a little kid game, it would bring a couple laughs. And it would just be a funny little thing we do. But to Paul, this wasn't a game. To Paul, this was very, very serious. The message of the gospel, namely the justification by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, and by adding circumcision or law-keeping to justification or to sanctification, to Paul, this was very serious because it wasn't the message of God. The tone is very serious. Paul has some skin in the game. Paul, in Acts 13 and 14, went to these areas, preached the gospel. Okay, we know that. In, in these areas, in these churches of Galatia. So Paul's preaching this gospel message he got from God and seeing people saved, seeing churches started. Then he kind of goes on in some of his missionary journeys. And then the false teachers came in kind of behind, beside him, most likely Jewish teachers, and they began changing the message. Paul expresses his burden here, his passionate burden in three of the verses, I think, in the book of Galatians. We read one of those in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed, don't miss it, from him. You see, when you leave the gospel, you don't just leave a church. You don't just leave a pastor. You don't just leave a set of religious rules or something like that. When you walk away from the gospel, you walk away from Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says. In chapter 3, verse 1, briefly, quickly, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Paul said, I came to you and I told you who he was and what he did and what he meant. And now you're foolish. See it? You're foolish. You're bewitched, tricked. You're foolish, you're bewitched, and you're disobedient. You don't obey the truth. See it? So Paul had this passionate burden to these Galatians. In chapter 5, verse 7, he says this, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Okay, so they they were they, they had the message, got it? And they stopped running. They stopped believing. And the false teachers came in and they perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the book of Galatians, what Paul is doing is he's confronting these false teachers who changed God's message. And he says this, don't change the message. What I'd like to do in, very briefly in, in our time is to give you two reasons what Paul was saying of why they should not change the message. And I would suggest for us as believers to hold tight and understand 
these two reasons why we should not mess with, change, pervert, leave, walk away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll mention them to you, and then we shall unpack these the rest of the time. Number one, don't change the message because it's God's message. That is, the gospel came from God. And, and what, what we're getting at in this point we'll unpack is the idea of the source. It's a good word. I think a good word that captures it, right? The source of the good news. What's the source? What's the beginning? Where did it start? Who came up with it? And with this source is tied into it this area of authority. Right? So the source, whoever it is, and how high up they are, see where I'm going? And then it brings the authority. The second reason is because the gospel alone has the power to change people. Why would you mess with that? Okay, and Paul's going to talk about that. So the first point has the idea of source and authority. The second has the uh, idea and the, the idea of uh, power. So let's just unpack these in just a few moments that we have. Number one, the gospel came from God, the authority and the source. Look at verse 12. We read it, but let's draw attention to it. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know from this verse, from other verses in the New Testament, specifically in Ephesians 3, that, that Paul deals with the idea that God had revealed it to him. That Jesus Christ chose Paul to impart revelation, namely the New Testament, in a broader sense, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul explicitly says to these Galatian believers, attacking these false teachers who are perverting the message, hey, I got this message directly from Jesus Christ. And it is an issue of revelation. I got it from revelation. Also with this revelation comes the idea of authority. Now, we don't have time to, 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 to unpack this all the way, but uh, Paul's apostolic authority was also being challenged. Okay. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot here. Verse one, Paul, once again, he's not starting this out like he would on the church of Philippians saying, man, every time I think of you, I pray for you. I pray that your love will grow. And every time I think of you, I'm praying for you. He just doesn't do that. He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. That is Paul. He knew. He wasn't confused. Didn't beat around the bush. He knew who he met on that Damascus road. He knew. And he knew who he was. This Jesus of Nazareth. And this brought this authority and origin of source of the gospel right to the forefront. Now, um, the gospel came from God very quickly. Let's just stay in the text really fast. Because God's involvement in the gospel is so important. Really quickly, look at chapter 1 at the end of chapter 1. There's a phrase there. It said this, the father who raised him from the dead. Got it? See that verse 1? God raised Jesus from the dead. It was God who intervened and raised Jesus from the dead. We know who Jesus was, the creator son of God. It was God who through a miracle, through the virgin birth, that's a miracle. We don't need a biology lesson here this morning, do we? Okay, it's not how it happens. God's miracle virgin birth. And the resurrection was a miracle on this side. So you have the virgin birth, which was a fulfillment of all those prophecies. Then you have the resurrection from the dead, another miracle, and frankly, a bunch of miracles in between. Okay, and all the miracles in between, and that miracle, and that miracle, miracle makes sense if you know who he is. He's God. 
And God raised him from the dead. God's direct involvement in this. Look at verse four. Who gave himself for our what? Yeah, God's involvement is this. He's the one who sent Jesus to this world. For God so loved the, that he, it was God who interceded, God who intervened, God provided, God who sent Jesus. He loved us first. He initiated first. And this was all very important to the Apostle Paul in defending the gospel because the gospel came from revelation of God. God's involvement, he raised him from the dead. Uh, verse 4, it was God who placed our sins on Jesus and sent Jesus to be the Savior, right? And notice verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. There's only one There's only one person who gets to decide who gets the glory of the rest of the universe, eternity, right? And then there's only one person who's going to get all the glory the rest of eternity. And you don't get to decide it, and neither do I. And neither does any false teacher or any religion that's out there in the world. God has decided that his son be the pinnacle of all history. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. To the Apostle Paul, the gospel came from God. Now he goes on in the text of scripture, if you would, please. Thank you for your wonderful attention. I'm speaking as fast as I can because I'm still watching the clock. I'm thinking about the pies and this is not going well. Okay, you with me? The gospel came from God. Okay, no other authority can change it. But the we, Paul includes his apostolic authority. And they had authority. Paul says, yo, Pete, you know, Pete comes in chapter two, right? And he begins to not live according to the truth of the gospel. The apostle Paul confronts Peter, who probably was the pillar, the main influence in the church at the time. When's the last time a fundamentalist leader confronted another fundamentalist leader in truth, right? That's a whole other story. We'll talk about that later, Brother Scott. Okay. It doesn't matter if you're apostle. If Gabriel and Michael show up and tell you something else other than the justification by faith alone and the finished work of Jesus Christ, but that we are an angel from heaven, that is what he's getting at. There's no authority that can change this. Okay. There's no man that can change this. I mentioned in Sunday school, I don't have time to go into this a lot, but I'm, uh, me and Luther are hanging out in Galatians. And that, it's a wonderful time of life. Me and Luther are hanging out in Galatians. Sounds fun, young people, doesn't it? They're like, what? I'm reading, uh, this is Martin Luther's commentary in Galatians. Luther, although we, we know he didn't come out all the way with everything he ever taught and said, but he got this one right because he was in a stark system of Catholicism that put so much emphasis on works and man-centered leadership. So for Luther to talk about this, uh, the, the, his commentary in Galatians was amazing what he deals with this issue of perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen. God sent Jesus in this world, period, dot, end. God placed your sin on Jesus, period, dot, end. God resurrected Jesus from the dead, period, dot, end. God exalted Jesus, not after, not just resurrected, but exalted him, period, dot, end. And Jesus Christ, according to God, is the only way to be saved, period, dot, end. Because God is the only one that gets to decide how people get right with him. And it is our job to steward that message because we know we have a New Testament and a Bible that is preserved for us in the revelation of Almighty God. So, folks, don't change the message because of it came from God. Now, with this issue of authority, we all, we understand that the source and who he is, who the source is, uh, really changes the idea of authority. Okay, um, how many of you? Uh, how many of you have these wonderful blessings of life? These sanctifying influences of our life called siblings. Uh, 
Um, Layman's got a book out called Birth Order. It's kind of been out there if you ever read it. It deals with a lot of the birth order stuff. Okay, does anybody know what I'm talking about? You have it pretty funny. So um, firstborn people tend to have the same characteristics. They're leaders. They're right. They're never wrong. You're going to learn quickly which one I am really quick. Okay, so the firstborn, they're leaders. And, and this is not always true, you know, but uh, but they say that they've studied that the, the every U.S. president, every U.S. president, including the current one, has been a firstborn male. Every astronaut in space, at least according to the writing of the book, firstborn male. Okay, so they've done a lot of these studies about that firstborn is the leader, gets to just lead calm, solid, you know, firstborn leader. Then there's the babies of the family. Yep, get away with everything. They whine, they cry, they don't get the same rules that the firstborn went through, and they just kind of get away with everything. You know, they're like they're like the baby of the family. Everything's a joke. They like you say it. You get in trouble. They say the exact same thing. They're not in trouble. You see the problem here? You're really quickly knowing where I'm going with the next one. And that is the middle child. Oh, bless your souls, middle children. Um, so Layman has this book about middle child. He says he gets a bunch of letters from middle child, middle children, who write him serious. They write him and they say, our chapter was not as long as the firstborn chapter. Why is that so? Why isn't our chapter as long as their chapter? Because middle children, life is not fair. Can I get an Amen. Come on, middle children, just let's hang together. We're going to have a sob party in the back after church. Okay, so, man, I remember one time growing up, and I had an older brother and a younger sister, which was terrible, because I'm in the middle, and now my sister's the baby prince of the family, my older brother, who's like the solid one, and I'm just the rebellious middle child in the middle. Okay, so I remember one time my brother was doing something with his friends that they shouldn't be doing. Yes. And, and my brother never got in trouble. He's just always dead right, but he was doing something with his friends. And I went over to my brother. I said, Jake, stop it. You know what my brother did? What all normal firstborns would do, just look at me like, I'm not going to listen to you. You're a middle child. You know, I'm not going to listen to what you're going to say. Kept doing it. I was so mad. So I had a plan. I went over to mom and dad. And I let them know what Jake was doing and his friends. Yes. Because we're always instigators, right? I mean, do you see these characteristics? Okay, so we're now, we're now, now we're instigating. Now we're trying to get our brother in trouble. So I said, mom, dad, Jake's doing this. Of course, like a lot of times, parents don't have the time to go over there and deal with it. So they said this, Aaron, go tell Jake that dad said, stop it. Oh, that changes everything. So I go, <laughs> dad said that you need to stop. You know, my brother looked at me and he was even more mad now, but he stopped. And it had nothing to do with me, but he knew who was behind that uh, obedience command, and it was dad, the authority. Right? Okay. God gets to decide who gets right with him. And in a silly illustration like that, I think you understand that the authority that we have, that we've been given by Jesus, Matthew 28, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So we just go tell people that I die on the cross for them. Come on, folks. Why do we make it so complicated? We, we just we just get churchy and complicated. We lose focus. We do. Don't we? We just do. Just go tell people that I sent my son and that on that cross 2,000 years ago, he bled and died for their sin. 
And it was good enough, powerful enough, able enough to save. It's God's message. It's God's message. Get your hands off it. Leave it alone. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it because it came by revelation of Almighty God. God's message is authority. Don't change the gospel. Number two, really quickly, the gospel also alone has the power to change. Very quickly, we're going to, I told pastor, I can crash land any sermon. So I gave you the outline at the beginning, so I already preached it. So here we go. I'm going to crash land this sermon very quickly. After dealing with this issue of authority in the gospel, and it came from God and revelation, which is why you shouldn't change it, Paul turns it a little bit personal. And you got to remember, there's some holy zeal in this, this chapter. There really is. There's not this anger and sinful anger. I mean, Paul's saying, listen, you change the message, you're accursed of God. That's strong. Okay. We could develop a lot more here, but that's strong language. And, and then Paul kind of turns it a little bit more on the personal side because these false teachers were coming in, telling them that they should live for the law. You ever read Philippians 3? Paul was a Jew, a Pharisee. This was right up his alley. And he was now being persecuted for this truth. And it became in this holy zeal, this righteous anger, maybe we would say, of of. of of frustration and dealing with these false teachers. You see it in the book of Galatians. And he turns this to this point. The gospel alone has power to change. Don't change it. He says this. You have heard of my conversation times past. You heard. Hey, you remember me? You heard about me? Remember I was that guy? I just read this morning in my Bible reading. It was at the, uh, the, the, the first martyr of Stephen. And the, and the clothes were laid. He was, I was there. Okay. I was there. He said, you heard of my conversation? How that I was... Uh, uh, killing Christians and arresting Christians. As a matter of fact, he went and got those. Um, he went and got those uh, letters uh, uh, and, and kind of the authority to go down to Damascus because he heard that there's people of the way down there. And so the apostle Paul goes gets these uh, these these letters and goes on the Damascus road to arrest more Christians, more children, more men, and and because they were they were obviously blaspheming his God that he thought. So he in his zeal did it, and you know the story. On the road to Damascus, he met for the very first time Yahweh. His whole life he thought he was serving Yahweh. His whole life he thought he was getting right with God by the law keeping. His whole life was spent this way. And on that Damascus road, we know who he met. He met for the very first time, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Saul, Saul, why persecutest me? And his conversion through the story, you know it, it changed his life. And now this persecutor, uh, if we stay with the text, it's at the end of the chapter. But they that heard only that he which persecuted us, verse 23, he, that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed. It makes for a great outline. He went from being a persecutor, hating. His whole life was given over to this, to now the greatest proclaimer of the gospel probably in the history of the church. It changed. Okay. Crash landed. Here we go. So you don't have a Damascus story. You know? You're like... Sunday night, when I was like five, like 20 years ago, I heard a Pastor Pirate CD. I got convicted. I was five. I was really mean to my brother and my sister. I knew I was a sinner. And I, I listened to Pastor Pirate, and I got saved. So you were a sinner. And now you're a saint. Folks, 
you don't need to have a Damascus Road experience. But there ought to be a bunch of people in this room who said, I may not have been on that road to Damascus, but there was a time in my life. There was a time in my life where I didn't care about God, didn't live for God, didn't know God, didn't want to go to church, didn't read the Bible. I thought all those crazy Baptists were a bunch of crazy Looney Tunes. And then you understood through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you were a sinner. And you understood what Jesus did on the cross for you. And, and, and you, you understood his sufficiency to save. And you call upon the name of Jesus and he saved you. Everyone in this room who knows Jesus has that testimony and has that experience. Different background, different events, different stories, but you heard the gospel and it changed you. Question, why would we change a message that has the power in and of itself to save and to change? Are you a program here? Boy, we could just spend all day talking about this. And I'm crash landing this plane. I really am. But folks, the gospel has the power to take a persecutor and make him a proclaimer, a sinner and make him a saint. This message will justify you. This message will transform you in the power of the Spirit of God become like Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus alone for justification, by faith in Jesus alone for change in your life. If you're not saved in this room, you've never called upon the name of Jesus, I invite you this morning to see that you're accountable to God and that you're a sinner before God. You've offended God. And if you got what you deserve, you'd have to be separated from God for all eternity. But God provided through Jesus a way for you to be saved. God said to this world as savior, he gave Jesus. And maybe for the very first time in church, you're willing to call upon the name of the Lord and ask Jesus Christ to give you a white, clean heart and to save you and wash you from your sin. Believer in Jesus, you already have made this decision. Did you forget about the power of this message? The gospel? Did you forget about how simple it is? And even if you're struggling with a sin in your life or something, God has enabled in Jesus the power to be uh, cleansed, to be forgiven again, to be strengthened so that you can go forward and be salt and light and live out the gospel, which is Christ in you. For all eternity. Heads but eyes closed. Nobody look around in a moment. I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor. As a testimony to the gospel this morning, how many of you can say with an uplifted hand, Brother Aaron, I have a time in my life when I have called on the name of Jesus for me, been born again by his spirit. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been saved. Is that your testimony? Can you raise your hand? So, Brother Aaron, I have that testimony. Thank you so much for your honesty. Put your hands down. I ask you a question. Maybe there's somebody in this room who got invited to church or you're here, been coming for a while, wherever the case may be. You know in your heart that you're not saved. And today you want to talk to somebody, have somebody open a Bible to show you where you're going to spend eternity. I'd like to pray for you. Heads but eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Is there somebody in the room that would say, Brother Aaron, would you pray for me? Because I want to talk to somebody today about that decision. Nobody's looking around. Would you mind slipping up your hand? And say, Brother Aaron, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that in the room this morning? Anybody like that in the room this morning? Just give it a quick second. Last question. How many say, Brother Aaron, you know, I just needed to hear this. God has worked in my heart. The Spirit of God has just done a work of grace in my heart to remind me about my soul winning or dealing with sin in my life. Just to be a little more zealous, a little bit more obedient. Maybe this morning it's just a, a, a repent and recommit type message. 
God, I've been slacking, but I'm committing back to you. If God's worked in your heart in a similar fashion, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Just slip your hand up. You can slip right down. I see those hands. Yep, I see those hands. Yep, anybody else? Brother, would you pray for me? I see those hands. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand your feet. I'm going to ask Pastor to come and conclude the uh, invitation as he sees fit. Let's pray. Let's go ahead and stand our feet. Heads by eyes closed. Let's stand, and I'll pray. If you want to come and talk to somebody about being saved and you didn't raise your hand, the invitation is still open to you. And church folks, as God deals with your heart, respond to him in faith here this morning. Let's pray.